Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zerah Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. You should love victory. And victory is an outcome of obeying the Word of God, taking seriously His revelation. And not just believing it, but to experience that victory, we need to apply that truth to our life. Walk in the revelation of God, for there we find God's will, we find His provision, we find everything that we need in order to serve Him. Now, I mentioned Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonement. And we saw that there was a priest who was anointed. It literally says, he anointed him. And this can refer to his father, meaning the previous high priest, or the high priest anointing some other priest in order to carry on this role to fill the, the requirement of the role of the high priest. But what we need to realize is this, that this high priest is simply a symbol of a greater high priest, and that's Messiah Yeshua. And because his work is greater, he does not simply impart to us atonement, but eternal redemption. And I say all of this because what we're going to be looking at in this 12th chapter of the book of Joshua is about victory. It is about receiving, and you can only receive from God if, if you're in that right relationship with Him. And there's only one way to be in that right relationship, to be born again by faith through the truth of the gospel, whereby you become that new creation, that kingdom creation in Messiah. And when we're in that situation, we can expect victory, ultimately eternal victory. And the passage of scripture that we're going to be studying today shows us kingdom truth that relates to a future victory, a victory that Messiah has achieved and purchased for us in our behalf. We are the recipients by faith. He did the work. Well, look with me, as I said, to Joshua chapter 12. Now, we've seen something. We saw last week in chapter 11 how the, the people of the land of Canaan, how they came against the children of Israel who were being led by Yahushua, Joshua, or that same name is where we derive the term Jesus from. So we see the enemy attacking, but they were defeated. And that same type of world rebelliousness, people coming together against the will of God, is going to be prevalent in the last days. We know something. Zechariah the prophet tells us that all the nations of the world, 
not just the nations of the land of Canaan, but all the nations of the world are going to come together in unity under the leadership of the Antichrist for the purpose of being against, trying to stop the will of God from being fulfilled. They are going to fail and we are going to experience victory. What type of victory? I'm not just speaking about the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation with God, wonderful things, but I'm speaking primarily of the kingdom of this world being taken and and turned into the kingdom of God. Why is that so important? Because there's where the blessings and the promises of God are, where we can receive them and receive them forever and ever. Well, what we're going to do is look at this entire 12th chapter. We can get through it rather quickly. And we're going to see some observations. First of all, the the writer here, Joshua, is, is breaking up the opponents, the enemies, into two groups. Those who were on the east of the Jordan River and those who were on the west. And primarily, there was two very powerful kings that were on the east of the Jordan. And I'm speaking about Silchon and Og. If you're well-versed in the scripture, you will remember that, that Moses defeated these two mighty kings and that victory is repeated over and over in the scripture in the Psalms and on other places where the people are reminded of that great victory. Two kings were defeated. But on the west side of the Jordan River, there were 31 kings that came together in unity to oppose and rebel against the will of God. And these 31 nation-states, they were defeated by the children of Israel. How? by God because they were led properly submissively by Yeshua. Now I've mentioned that name Yeshua. He's also called Yeshua in the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And this is to teach us this this principle. What we learn from the victory of Joshua in conquering the land we can also learn principles from that in order to teach us about kingdom victory in the last days. So with that said, look with me to verse 1. And if you're a good student of math, you'll know 2 Kings plus 31 is 33. And that's an important number. David, for example, ruled 33 years in Jerusalem. And Messiah, He completed his ministry at the age of 33. That number has kingdom implications. Verse 1. These are the kings of the land. And there's an emphasis on land. What land? The promised land. The land of Israel. Never use that term Palestine. That is insulting to God. God doesn't use that language, and you ought not either. The Palestinians as a people, now I'm not talking about them individually, but as a people and their leadership, 
is similar to the people of the Canaanites. They want to thwart, they stand in opposition to the prophetic truth of God. What God is up to and what he's going to accomplish. Verse 1. And these are the kings of the land, which the children of Israel, and this is the word to strike. And usually that word represents a death blow, striking and destroying, a, a blow of death. So these, the children of Israel, they struck down and they inherited, notice this second part of verse 1, and they inherited their land. It belonged to them, but God gave it to the children of Israel. Who did that? The sovereign God. And they inherited their land on the other side of the Jordan, on the east, and it has the word the sun, meaning where the sun rises up, it rises in the east. So again, this first part of chapter 12, we're not dealing initially with the land of Canaan. We're dealing with the land on the east side of the Jordan River, what is today Jordan and even beyond. So it says, and they inherited their land on the other side, the east side, the east of the sun, meaning the rising of the sun from where? From the Nachal. Now this is a river. It can be a river that's dry in the summer and, and only flows in the winter like a vadi. But it says here, from the river are known unto the mountain of Hermon. This is in the Golan Heights. And all of the Arava, the Arava is the desert plain. And notice again, it speaks of it being towards the east. We're speaking about all of this land east of the Jordan River. And now look at verse 2. We mentioned Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the one who dwelt where? In Heshbon. So a very powerful king, Sihon, and he was ruling, notice what it says in the middle of verse 2, ruling from Aroer, which is on the banks of the river are known, and in the midst of the river. What is that important? Why is that important? Because this tells us he just doesn't own up to, just not ruling up to the river, but it also includes he controls the river, the flow of water, who travels upon it. That is the implication of the phrase, in the midst of the river, and two, and it says, all of this includes Chetzi Gilad, this region of Gilead, unto Yaboka Nachal, unto the river, and here in Hebrew we call it Yabok, so the Yabok River. All of this is the land which he ruled. And notice something else. It says here, this is unto the border of the children of Ammon, the Ammonites. Verse 3. Being more specific, and the plains unto Yam Kinorot. This would be the Sea of Galilee. So from those plains, it's saying from the plains, it includes the Sea of Galilee on the east, 
unto the sea of the desert plain, the Arava, which is Yam HaMelach, which is the salt sea. We oftentimes call it the Dead Sea. On the east, on the way of the house of Yeshemot. This is Bet HaYeshemot. And also from the south, underneath the plains, or excuse me, the slopes, the mountain slopes of the high mountain known as Pisgah. Now, all of this is what Sihon ruled over. He was defeated by, by Moses and the children of Israel. And they took all of this land. Move on to, to verse 4. And the, the border, this king, Sihon, ruled into the border of Og. What's that? The second king. Og, the king of Bashan. And notice that he was from the, the remnant of the Raphaim. Now, some have translated that word Raphaim to mean giants. We'll set that aside. Others prefer just to not render it into English, but just leave it as Raphaim. So he was a, a remainder of these people. And some, as I said, say that they were giants, similar to the Anakim that we talked about last week. And this king of, of, of Bashan, Og, he was setting, that means his, his headquarters, were in Ashtarot and in Ed-Rai. So it gives us an idea of where he ruled from. Ruling in the mountain of Hermon, and in Salka, and in all of Bashan, unto the border. And he's going to talk about some people, the Gishuri, the Gishurites, also Ha-Ma'achati, the Ma'achatites, unto, as well, the other side of the Gilead, the other half of Gilead. This was the border of Sihon, the king of Bashan. Now, we have two kings. We have Sihon and also Og. And what we know here is, notice verse 6, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel, what did they do? They struck them. So they took all of this land, where? Under Moses' leadership, the servant of God, all the land on the eastern side. Now, we learned that these people, because their lands were conquered, some of them moved across the Jordan River onto the western side. We've talked about that previously. And all of that did was to make the people of the Canaanites stronger, more populous, and a greater foe for the children of Israel. But with God, nothing's difficult. So we read here, about Moses. And what did he do? Well, look at the second part of verse 6. And he gave it, meaning the land that was conquered. He gave it, who did? Moses, the servant of the Lord. He gave it as an inheritance to Reuben, that means to the tribe of Reuben, the Reubenites, and to God, the tribe of God, the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, this is also read about 
in the book of Deuteronomy where this victory occurred under the leadership of Moses and how these two and a half tribes, Reuben, God, and the half-tribe Manasseh, they stayed on that eastern side. Now, remember, we also learned when it came time for the battle, they came over in order to assist and fight with the other tribes as a unified people. As Moses instructed, based upon the revelation of God and the agreement of these two and a half tribes, they were faithful to carry out that agreement and fight with their brothers. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7, back in my Bible, there's a space between the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Why? To teach us that we're dealing with a related but separate issue. Verses 1 through 6 dealt with the conquering of the enemy on the eastern side of the Jordan River under the leadership of Moses. But now there's a transition. There's a new leader, Moses. He is no longer with the people. He was buried on the east side of the Jordan River in the mountain. And therefore the new leader, Joshua, Yehoshua, he is going to be the one that's emphasized in this second part of chapter 12. Look at verse 7. It begins in the same way. If you go back to verse 1, it says, Ele malche ha'arts. And if you go to verse 7, Ve'ele malche ha'arts. Identical in the Hebrew text. And we translate it the same way. These are the kings of the land. Not just any land, but the promised land. Not Aretz, but Haaretz, the specific land, which, notice what it says, which Yahshua. Now, it's interesting because the verb here for striking, when we looked at the first part, it was in the plural, referring to Moses and the children of Israel. But here, in a very unique way, Joshua is the one striking the enemies. Why is that? Now, in reality, it was Joshua and the people, obviously. But the text emphasizes Joshua. Why? This chapter has kingdom implications. And when it comes to the last day, it's going to be Messiah, Messiah alone, that defeats the enemy. He's coming with the wrath of the Lamb, His wrath, to defeat all those, all those nations that stand in opposition to the will of God. Verse 7. These are the kings of the land which Joshua struck and the children of Israel. But again, the verb is singular and modifies Joshua, even though it also says, and the children of Israel. Where? On the other side of the Jordan. And then we have the term, instead of Mizracha, we have the term Yama, Mizracha, towards the east. This is towards the west, towards, and the word yama comes from the Hebrew word sea, meaning the direction of the Mediterranean Sea, that land that's closer to this on the west side of the Jordan River. And we have also the boundaries from Baal Gat in the valley of Lebanon and unto, and we talked about this last week, unto the smooth mountain, Har-Hei-Halak, 
that goes up. It's on a rise to Sair, which is the mountain of, of Esau. So moves towards that place in the east. And it says, Joshua gave it, meaning this land, he gave it to the tribes of Israel. Also, just like Moses did, as an inheritance. But here it says, according to their divisions, meaning, and we saw this same phrase last week, according to their divisions, and it's speaking of the divisions of the tribes, the tribes of Israel. Verse 8. Now, verse 8 also teaches us an important principle. And that is that God's victory comes through grace. Notice something here at the end of, of verse, verse 8. Let's read the whole verse where it says, In the mountain, meaning in the mountainous area, also in the close, coastal plain, in the desert plain, on the slopes, meaning on the slopes of the mountains, in the wilderness, that desert area, and also in the south. Now we look here, we have Har, Shephelah, Arava, Ashedot, Midbar, and Negev. How many? Seven. Seven is the number for the purpose of God. It's a holy number. But then you look at the end of verse 8 and we see people being mentioned. The land of the Canaanites. Who were the Canaanites? Well, we have a list, not all-inclusive, but, but most. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Presites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. How many? Six. Look again. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prisites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. Six. Now, seven locations, seven types of land is mentioned, which is inclusive. This speaks about all the promised land. These designation, the mountains, the plains, the deserts, all of that. But how do we conquer and receive the promised land? Six people. Why six? Because six is the number of grace. So we find the purposes of God through the grace of God. This is part of the reason why this list appears with seven people, six people and seven places. Now let's go to verse 9. Verse 9, through the end of this chapter, verse 24, we have a list of kings, one at a time. And we're going to see that there was 31 kings on the western side and two kings on the eastern side, as I said, for a total of 33. But notice what it says. The king of Jericho won. After every king, the number Echad is mentioned. Now, why is that? Well, we should know just by looking. We didn't have to have the mountain area, one type of area. The sea area, another type of area. The, the plains, another type. We didn't need the number one. All of this has an additional reason. The one, the word one, echad, also speaks about unity. And what we find is, by obedience to God, conquering the enemy one at a time, 
is how we find unity. Unity with God through the fulfillment of his will. The complete fulfillment of his will brings about victory. Look, if you would, to verse 9. The king of Jericho won. The king of Ai, which is on the side of Bethel, won. So we have exactly the location. This one king of Ai, verse 10. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Yarmut won. The king of Lachish won. The king of Eglon won. The king of Gezer won. The king of Devir won. The king of Geder won. The king of Hormah won. The king of Arad won. The king of Livna won. The king of Adulam won. The king of Makeda won. The king of Bethel won. The king of Tapuach won. The king of Hefer won. The king of Afek won. The king of Sharon, and this is La Sharon, meaning of Sharon, or simply a different term, La Sharon, speaking of a different area. Some would say Sharon is a larger area, so it means of Sharon. And then we have verse 19. The king of Madon won. The king of Chatzor won. The king of Shimron, Meoron won. The king of Akshaf won. The king of Tanak won. The king of Megiddo won. The king of Kadesh won. The king of Yokniam. And here we have that same grammatical construction of the Carmel. The Carmel is a region. And one of the main cities going back many, many years ago, 3,500 years ago and beyond, was Yokniam. And now today, if you go to that area around the Carmel Mountains, a city, a modern city, city with a high-tech zone, is Yokniam in Israel today. So the same locations, many of them are known. The king of Yokniam of Carmel won. The king of Dor of Nafat Dor, more specific information, won. The king of Goim Le Gilgal. So the king of Goim of Gilgal in that area won. And the king of Tirzah won. Now notice what it says. All the kings, meaning all the kings on the west, remember that division beginning in verse 7. All the kings, 31. And again, 31 plus 2, 33. It points to the numbers of years of Messiah's life. And what it teaches us is this. It's through the life of Messiah that we have victory. What type of victory? A kingdom victory. And what is the implication of a kingdom victory? We take hold of the covenantal promises of God. Now, let me conclude with just one last point, and that's this. 
there is an emphasis on the land. Going back in the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, and the conquering of the land was necessary for the purposes of God to come about. What were some of the purposes? Building the temple, worshiping God, and for Messiah to enter into this world, do his work, and similarly, we see today undeniably that God is bringing the people, those of a Jewish heritage, back to the land in a fulfillment of his word, his prophetic word. And I'm amazed of how many people deny this, that don't see significance in this. How can we see, going back to 1948 and the reestablishment of the nation of Israel as not being significant? The nation is significant, not because it's the kingdom nation that once was, but it brought about the vehicle for the people to start coming back to the land. And that has been going on prior to 1948 and especially after 1948, even today. Every day, people are returning to the land. Visit Israel, you'll see the growth and the building that's going on. All of this is prophetic. Why? Because the land, hear this, because the land is a necessity. The land is connected to the promise of God, the kingdom promise of God. Messiah, just like he came the first time and he served, he's coming the second time at the end of Daniel's 70th week, and he's coming to the Mount of Olives eventually. He is going to go down that Mount of Olives just like he did nearly 2,000 years ago. And he is going to enter into the holy city. He is going to go through the eastern gate and he is going to begin the millennial kingdom ruling from the holy of holies. All of that is part of God's kingdom strategy. Messiah is going to rule over the land for a thousand years. The land of Israel and Israel is going to rule over all creation. A fulfillment of that promise that the meek, that is, those who are submissive and trusting, that's what the word meek, biblically speaking, speaks to. Those who are submissive and believing the promises of God, they are going to inherit the earth. That means that it's going to become a kingdom entity. And it all is connected to the land. We see that God spoke about the land to Abraham. He spoke about the land through the prophets to you and me, and he spoke about the land and the significance through Messiah, who is going to, when he comes the second time at the end of Daniel's 70th week, at the end of those seven years, those final seven years, at the time of the second coming, he is going to gather up the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, still in Galut, still in exile. And his angels are going to bring them back to the land. Why? Because the land is significant. The land is connected to the kingdom. Well, I'll close with that until next week. May God bless you. May you have a meaningful Yom HaKippurim. And also as you prepare thereafter for the Feast of Tabernacles. Until next time, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.